Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Uh, but we do know that there will not be now a CFL season here in the hub city of Winnipeg, which is unfortunate. Abby Khan, former bomber, joins us now, restaurant owner. Abby, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Um, well, first of all, speak as a former bomber. Disappointing. As a former bomber and a former player, devastating. Not disappointing, devastating. I feel so bad for these guys. I don't know what they're doing for money. Uh, the uncertainty of going another eight, nine months without a paycheck. I feel my heart sank for these guys. Really, it did. People don't understand that. These guys don't make a lot of money. They're blue-collar workers grinding out there. I feel terrible for them. And, you know, the other thing is they, they lose a, a year of playing football, which is also a really big deal for a lot of, well, for all of these guys. Yeah, I mean, whether, you, whether you're young or old, I mean, your, your, your career is only, you know, 2.9 years is the average career. I mean, you shave a year off of that. A lot of these guys, uh, it's a tough spot for these players. Uh, you know, you, whether you're a veteran or a rookie, you, you just lost a year. You lost a whole year of your athletic eligibility or athletic prowess to play. It's, it's not good, man. It, it's a really sad thing that's happened in the CFL and uh, this, the whole COVID situation. Are you upset that the government didn't come through? I'm hearing it from both sides. I got people that are texting and emailing saying, you know, how dare the government not help the league out with, uh, you know, it, listen, it's a lot of money, but in the big picture, it's not a lot of money. A lot of people are saying, come on, why not? And other people are saying, you know what? It's a private business. They should fend for themselves. You know, it's it's hard. Uh, I'm on both sides of the fence. So as a former player, uh, guy in the CFL, I'm like, come on, feds, give us the $30 million, let's get going. As someone on the other side, as a businessman, I'm sitting there going, well, what was the rationale to not do it? I think to really understand what happened and why it didn't go through is we need to see the full picture of what happened. What were the terms? What was the league offering? What was the CFL offering uh, for that $30 million? And what were the feds giving back on their terms? I mean, I think before we can make an a real assessment like that or a judgment on that, we need to have the whole picture. Uh, I am a little surprised that, you know, they didn't come back with the $30 million, uh, you know, thinking that that's not a, a ton of dough for the feds for the amount of money we're, we're throwing around for other things. Uh, and the CFL is such, it's so ingrained in the Canadian fabric of history, of sports, of culture, of tradition. It is what makes Canada special. I was uh, I was a little surprised, and I'm a little, I'm a little shocked, I'm a little hurt that they didn't, they didn't pony up. But again, we don't know the whole picture, Hal. We don't know what happened behind closed doors. We don't know what the terms were. Uh, I would love to look at the financial picture and see what was happening there. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I, I really am because I, it's more than just, it's more than just a bunch of football teams in, in another league. I mean, this is part of Canadiana. Exactly, and and that's where I was really shocked. Right, it's, it's not like it's just a league. It, it, it's been around for a hundred years. It's got such a tradition, and it brings so much pride and vibrancy to Canadian culture and sports. Uh, you look what the Grey Cup does for any city when it hosts it. You look at the pride of having Canadian national players play at that level. It is, it's not just a game. And for people to say it's just a game and money can be spent elsewhere, you know, you look at uh, the other people who are now losing jobs, right? The hospitality industry will suffer big time. I mean, I have three restaurants at the stadium Uh that are have been closed all year. You look at all the jobs, the support staff, training staff, coaching staff, and the trickle effect of that is massive. Um, you know, again, I think there's more going on behind the picture of what we actually see. I think there's more than just the $30 million ask. 
Uh, and again, until we know that whole thing, I, I think it's hard to make a judgment. But I am, I am saddened by it. I feel really bad for the players. I feel really bad for diehard fans. That all being said, Hal, I would bet my bottom dollar or a shawarma to anyone who wants to take this bet that the CFL will be back in 2021 and it will be fantastic. Well, yes, and I and I think that's. Uh, I guess I won't say it's a given. We're going to talk to Bob Irving here after the two thirty news, and we're hearing from Ambrosi today. So I mean, we'll see. But yes, I think it's going to be back bigger and and better. So obviously, uh, you know, even if there were a bunch of games played at IGF, I guess you weren't going to sell a bunch of shawarma there because there w- wouldn't be anybody in the stands. <laughs> but but listen, all these players coming here and having that happening here, the CFL playing in Winnipeg exclusively, that definitely would have helped you. As a business guy, right? It would have helped me for sure as a business guy. It would have helped the whole city uh, from a financial, economic point of view. Uh, you know, and I guess that's where the counter argument comes in, right? I mean, I am on the hub committee for when, if the CFO was to come and play here, I was on that committee, so I was a little advocate for coming here, putting in the proper rules and regulations on the players. You know, I do see the counter argument for people saying, "Well, we don't want to risk Manitobans. We don't want to. Why, why, why roll the dice?" and have people come in here and have the risk of COVID increasing. And, you know, I do see both sides of that argument, um, but there would have been a huge, huge trade-off in value for us if we were to have a CFL season here in Winnipeg, not only from, you know, economics and and, uh, business-wise, but also showcasing Winnipeg to the rest of Canada. I mean, we Winnipeggers take a lot of pride in Winnipeg, and this would have been a golden opportunity for us to show the rest of Canada again, you know, another time how great Winnipeg is. And we we unfortunately uh, aren't going to get to do that this time around. And how's the business? How are the various uh, restaurants and businesses going? You know, as we now see numbers spiking again in this pandemic, how how is business? You know, business is steadily increasing. I think even with the numbers going up a little bit, people are still coming out. I think the biggest thing is the confidence and safety that people have to have, right? And the businesses have to do. I mean, whether you know, we have tons of sanitized stations, we have masks on, we have separation, we have you know. Uh, stickers on the floor. So when businesses and places are doing that, I think people feel more comfortable and safe coming out. So we haven't really seen a drop, even with these increases in cases. Again, I think the biggest thing is confidence by the consumer and the public that businesses are doing what's best uh, for them, themselves, their staff, and for the public. And as long as we keep that faith going, I think we'll continue to see an increase uh, in prosperity here in Winnipeg and, and trending the right way. Even with the cases going up, I still think we're on the right path. Bobby, thanks for your time today, pal. Always a pleasure, my friend. Don't believe it's the end of the CFL, but I believe when it comes back, as they hope in 2021, it'll be dramatically different. You'll probably see a lot of the higher-end players asked to take pay cuts or uh, being let go if they choose not to. You'll uh, maybe see a little more scaled back, uh, you know, front office and coaching staff. Those are just some of the possibilities there. Mark Stephen, the voice of the Calgary Stampeders there, joining us on the phone now, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. Bob, good afternoon. How are you, Hal? Excellent. I got to say, happy belated birthday. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hope it was a good one for you, pal. Not yeah. a very good day today. I know you were looking forward to calling some games. A lot of fans were really excited about possibly seeing some football and played exclusively here in Winnipeg. That won't happen. No, it won't. And this was, uh, and I've been saying it for a long time, Hal, a 50-50 proposition at best, uh, dating back the last three or four months when this process I guess kind of began, uh, I had heard some optimism toward the end of last week that uh, it was looking like uh, they might be able to pull it off. 
but it was all contingent on the federal government approving a loan of $30 million. And for whatever reason, uh, the government just didn't see its way clear to give the CFL a $30 million loan. I guess they were going to give them a loan with interest. And the way they're doling out grants and millions and even billions of dollars through this pandemic, it uh, I don't know, it's a bit surprising and disappointing to me that the feds didn't recognize sort of the cultural importance of the Canadian Football League in our country and, uh, you know, the heritage and history that it has and, you know, be a little more generous. But I don't know all the details behind the talks either, so I guess that's just my gut and visceral reaction to the whole thing. It's just too bad. I know sort of our August, September, October, November, for those of us who love the Canadian Football League, is empty now. We won't have any games to watch. Uh, and even if they'd been in a hub city and all played in Winnipeg here with no fans, it would still have been great to see some Canadian football this year. But So it's gone, and uh, at least we have closure on it, Hal. This thing has dragged out way too long. And that's the other thing I would I'd point a finger at the feds and say, come on, you know, you guys, surely this isn't that complicated. The league needed some financial help. It asked for financial help. If you weren't prepared to give it, say just say that. Say that a number of weeks or months ago. But this thing drags on and on and on, and then on the Friday they decide, well, we can't do that. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. It's it just kind of annoying, and I know Wade Miller's very upset about it. I don't blame him. Uh, I know fans are upset about it. I don't blame them. It's complicated. I get that. And lots of people, Hal, in this COVID-19, this pandemic, have lost uh, things that uh, they enjoy and can't do and all the rest of it. So, hey, uh, life goes on, and we'll look forward to 2021. Yeah, that's the point Wade made uh, with Kathy Kennedy filling in for Jeff Courier. He said, you know, why didn't you tell us this four months ago, right? And and I can certainly see that, and I just talked to Aubie Conn, and he said, made the same point as you just made. You know, this is about more than just a football game, and, and this is, you know, part of, as I said, part of Canadiana, and you would think that they would have somehow found a way uh, to making this happen, but but we don't know all the details. Um, the clip I played to Mark Stephen there at the start, the voice of the Stamps, at the start of our uh, our conversation here. Um, do you think we'll see significant changes like that amongst uh, the teams or some of the teams next year? Well, the league already started trying to minimize its costs or lower its costs, Hal, back uh, in the springtime when they announced a, a limit on the number of coaches each uh, coaching staff in the league can have, and that will cut costs. Uh, they're going to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement with the players that all but certainly will lower the salary cap. It was going to be, I think, $5.2 million next year in that neighborhood. And there's been all kinds of speculation that the league will want that trimmed down to $4.8 million or thereabouts. Now, the players are going to resist that for sure, uh, and they'll have to work something out in that regard. But I know Randy Ambrosi and the governors uh, are committed to changing their quote-unquote business model, and by that they mean uh, cutting costs and costs... The primary costs are salaries for management, coaches, and players. And so that's going to be the new reality for the Canadian Football League. You know, I know when Mike Riley signed that contract in B.C. for $750,000 a year, a lot of eyebrows were raised. And, you know, do you have to pay a guy in the Canadian Football League that much money? Uh, and that's what happens when there's a sort of a competitive situation. And then Bo Levi Mitchell gets similar money, and up and up it goes. So they're going to have to get that under control. And, and it only makes sense. I mean, I love to see the players make as much money as they can. 
but the league needs to have a, a solid business model, and that's where they're going to have to start because every team in this league now is going to suffer substantial losses. And they would have, Hal, even if they played games without fans, uh, they're going to suffer substantial losses, and there needs to be a correction in the market. It'll be a tough pill for the players to swallow, uh, but I think that's just the reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is definitely uh, a sad day, but life goes on. And uh, Kathy Kennedy uh, made the comment, uh, you know, sort of jokingly to Wade Miller. Well, at least the Bombers will be Grey Cup champs two years in a row. And he was very quick to say, "I don't care about that." I because these guys just want to play football, right, Bob? Well, and it's all the people, Hal, who are impacted by this. The players, for sure. And, and look, half of them are Canadians, right? They're Canadians yep. who grew up dreaming about playing pro football in Canada in the Canadian Football League. So uh, they've lost that, and they've lost their salaries for this season. And lots of people are in that position outside of football who've lost their jobs. And these are tough times for everybody. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But if we're talking specifically football, so it's a tough goal for all the players, the Canadians in particular, the nine CFL teams employ tons of people, tons of people, uh, both full-time and part-time at their stadiums when games are on. And those people have lost, you know, that employment and those jobs. So, I mean, the ramifications go beyond some of the basic things we talk about, like reaching agreements on loans and CBAs and all the rest of it. It has an impact on thousands of people across the country. And it's, it's kind of a sad day. But again, we're going through this incredible period in our history where sad times are everywhere. And we're all having to readjust and make the best of it. And so really, the Canadian Football League is now in the, in the same situation. Having said all that, the federal government certainly didn't step up and help this great Canadian League of ours in a way that was tangible at all. And that's something that uh, bothers me, and it, and it will bother me for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, I mean, I'm getting, you know, lots of people that are texting and emailing and saying, come on, it's a sports uh, league. Why should the feds help out? But at the very least, uh, it seems to me that we could have uh, figured this all out before now, maybe giving uh, the teams and the league a, a, a different direction to go. I, I, I don't know. But as you said, we don't know the details. Hey, everybody, including Wade Miller, uh, bomber boss Wade Miller, is hinting at an announcement coming up from the teams or the league uh, do you have any sense as to what that might be? You're usually uh, on the inside of a lot of this stuff. Well, I did hear Wade's comment about that, about an exciting situation for yeah. ticket buyers, season ticket holders, that they're going to announce, I think he said, next week. And no, I don't, Hal. I know that a lot of the Bomber season ticket holders have been in touch with the team during this shutdown of the league, and, and many of them have told the Bombers, look, just keep our season ticket money for this year and apply it to next year. Many of them have. Some will ask for refunds, of course, and the club will deal with those people appropriately. But no, I don't know. Uh, I know that Wade has a very inventive mind, and he's uh, he's always one step ahead of us in coming up with ideas and and uh, plans to you know make things work better. So I'm kind of eager and anxious to hear what it might be. Yeah, me too. And I I've said a couple times through this whole whole process. Uh, you know, um, for people that are fans of the Bombers and fans of the league, I, I think now that the government money is not going to happen in the form of a loan or, or a gift, I, I think they, the teams and the league need to turn to their fans in some way or another. 
uh, to try and help with the bottom line. I, or, or the players, because Abi Khan mentioned that, you know, like he feels really bad for these players. How are some of these guys going to survive? Many of them don't make much money anyhow, and they work other jobs. So I, I hope the teams in the league do something like that. Turn to the real fans out there that can afford to help and try and, and get their help. Yeah, I think there will be some very uh, different ways to approach this, Hal, and I agree with Abby. For the players, you just your heart goes out to them, really. They, you know, they train year-round to play football. Most of them don't have off-season jobs because they're training to continue playing at a high level. I would say this. I think the provincial governments, and I know Brian Pallister's gang here did with the $2.5 million grant for the Hub City complex you know the provincial governments in alberta and manitoba and ontario aren't going to want to see these stadiums sitting empty you know we built ig field here for the bombers to play football in uh you know and when i hear people say well the league's in trouble are you kidding me you think in alberta they're going to let mcmahon stadium and and uh, the stadium the eskimos play in commonwealth stadium sit empty all year long these big beautiful stadiums we have mosaic and regina uh, they got new stadiums in Ottawa and Hamilton. You know, there's no way that uh, we're going to let these stadiums that cost many, many millions of dollars sit empty. And so I think there's a, an onus to some degree on the provincial governments to help in any way that they can. And I know our provincial government here has and will continue to in the future. So, And, you know, you mentioned it's pro sport. They can take care of themselves. Well, that's true. But the Canadian Football League has always been unique. It's always been a league that doesn't make a lot of money, doesn't have crazy wild salaries. You know, a lot of the franchises, you know the history, Hal, are touch and go sometimes from year to year. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not like it's some filthy rich entity that was looking for a handout. And yet, it's a huge part, and then this is me talking, it's a huge part of our sort of Canadian fiber and, you know, we can't lose it. And I think that in dire straits like this, we, we should have, meaning the federal government, should have supported it more mm-hmm. than they did. Yeah, I agree, Bob. Not everybody agrees, but I agree. Well, I think it's, I more than, it's, it's more than a, a football team. It's more than a league. Uh, it is part of uh, who we are as Canadians, for well, sure. Well, and lots of people don't give a rip about sport at all, Hal, and I get that. I understand that totally. Just because I'm immersed in it, I'm not oblivious yeah. to that. But I would say there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people across this country, yep. particularly in Western Canada and in Ottawa and Hamilton, they got huge mm-hmm. followings there, who care deeply about this league. Yeah, yeah, and even people that aren't necessarily big football fans understand the importance of these teams in this league. Well, hey, Bob, I gotta, le- I gotta let okay. you go. Thanks a lot, pal. Appreciate your time. All right, help. Did you know that Canadians are permitted to travel by air? A recording on the airline's booking line asks callers if they're eager to reunite with American friends and family, and says they're now quote permitted to do so. The airline says it's not breaking any rules and has safety precautions for travelers. That is uh, Air Canada promoting U.S. travel. And I know what you're saying. Well, wait a minute. That's not allowed. Joining us now to talk about it, Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Prof, Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Dr. Jenny, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, thanks very much for doing this. Uh, I know that other experts in your field have said that this is unethical. Where do you come down on this? Yeah, I think this is a tough, tough uh, line. I, I think, you know, Air Canada is within their rights to advertise legal travel. However, they probably need to be upfront and say that 
there is an increased risk of infection in many U.S. destinations. And perhaps more importantly, anybody traveling to the U.S. then would have to formally quarantine for 14 days upon return to Calgary. So there might be a great ticket sale to go to Vegas for the weekend, but then you must commit two full weeks of essentially locking up in your own home, no work, no groceries, no travel, no anything for two weeks upon your return. You know, and this is kind of where I want to take our conversation for a few minutes here. It seems to me that at the start of this, you know, when we didn't know very much about COVID-19, it was easier in some ways because we knew the rules. Everybody, for the most part, followed them. And now we're getting lax. Uh, Here in Manitoba, there's controversy over the mask. You know, the government is strongly recommending but not making them mandatory. There's a lot of gray area now, and, and I don't think that's doing anything to help stop or slow the spread of this virus. No, I would I would agree completely. Although, you know, in defense of some of these, it is difficult to have a blanket policy. We do know that there are medical exemptions, for example, for masks. And mandating and legislating makes it very difficult on individuals to get the permitted exemptions. Uh, We don't need to do this if the rest of the public does their part. And this is true even with travel, that if people are choosing to ignore the guidelines, that's where we really get into the problems. Mm -hmm. Do you worry that, uh, and we've seen a spike in cases, 38 new cases here today, and I know it's not just the number of new cases, there's other numbers and percentages and stuff that we need to be looking at and and being, you know, uh, concerned about. Do you worry that uh, in Canada, as you look at the numbers across the country, do you worry that we may find ourselves in the same boat that the U.S. is in right now? Uh, Things were, you know, going better than they are now, and then cases start to spike. And uh, Because that's what I'm hearing from my listeners. They're worried. Are we going to continue to see an increase in cases, and is this going to get worse before it gets better? We haven't even hit fall yet, which is a time when this could all get worse. No, those are excellent points. Uh, I think the, the realistic point of view is that if we can continue to hold our line, we, we I think we've got a very good track record here in Canada of governments listening to the public health authorities. And I think that that's critical. I, I think that that is why we are not seeing the situation in Canada that we saw in the U.S. Although the U.S. is a strong reminder, if we give up on these things, if we choose to ignore the science, we will end up where they are. So I think as long as we continue to make evidence-based decisions, and we're seeing that now, and I understand that they too uh, appear confusing with a number of provinces uh, with different mask laws, for example, for schools, and even Alberta, different mask regulations by different school boards. These numbers are changing based on the data we're getting, and I think that that's the critical distinction. It is less that we are unsure and more that as we learn more, we are adapting to the latest information we have on this virus. Yeah, that's a really good point because we're hearing that from provincial officials here, health officials here about school and masks and, and kids going back. And and things can change very quickly. And and I get that. Uh but moms and dads are are worried here as they are they're in Calgary and, and right across the country. School is coming up quickly here and and parents need to have a plan. They they want to know what's happening with their kids, but plans are hard to make when you're dealing with a pandemic, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've got two children, one in junior high, one in, in primary school. Uh, they're going back. We're confident with the numbers as they sit today. 
but the numbers today may be very different than what we're looking at at Thanksgiving or closer to Christmas. And unfortunately, we do have to recognize plans will have to be fluid to some extent because we will have to respond to changing numbers. Our current viral models are based on what we know so far. And realistically, here in Canada, we've not had schools in session. We don't know what it'll do directly to viral numbers. We've also never gone through a a flu season at the same time as COVID. We don't know what that will do to numbers. So we have to be prepared to be flexible. And I, I think it's just critical that people understand that changing guidelines and recommendations are not indecision, but rather revision based on, on the best science we're getting up in real time. Let me ask you a question about your family. You say your kids are going back. Mm-hmm. Are masks mandatory uh, there or, or not? And are your kids going to be wearing masks when they go back to school? So yes and yes. Both of the major school boards in Calgary, uh, the Calgary Catholic and the Calgary uh, Board of Education, the public board, have mandated masks for kindergarten all the way through to grade 12. So even the youngest kids in both of the major school boards here in Calgary will be required to wear masks. Uh, My kids are already wearing them. We do have a mask bylaw in the city for indoor spaces. So we've used that as an opportunity to teach the kids how to wear them, uh, let them get used to it if we go out for groceries or go to pick up some building supplies at Home Depot. So they're wearing their masks on a regular basis. And we're hoping that that will help ease the transition back to a school day where they will be required to wear masks in their schools. Dr. Jenny, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.